0: You are about to enjoy a presentation recorded at the 2023 Michigan Conference Camp Meeting held at Cedar Lake, Michigan. We pray that the Lord will bless you as you listen. Dear Father in Heaven, thank you for this time together, this afternoon. And Father, I pray for your spirit, and Lord, I pray that you will guide even though we come from diverse uh, reasons for coming to the seminar. Father, I pray that you will lead and guide and that each one will come away with things that will provide direction for their lives in the very uh, so quick future. Thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Um, I'll introduce myself briefly. I'm Terry Saley, you probably read the the bio. I coordinate refugee and immigrant ministries for the North American Division. So, um, come from a... What does that mean? Okay, what does that mean? Yes, I coordinate, so even the term refugee many people are not familiar with. A refugee is someone who has had to flee from their home country, they're no longer able to stay, and they're un- unable or unwilling to go back due to fear, uh, fear for their lives basically, uh, due to you know, whether it's religious persecution or you know, whether it's politically motivated or whatever. Um, a refugee is someone who is outside of his home country not just internally displaced, those are called IDPs, internally displaced people. Refugees are outside their their country and so basically they're stateless, they, they can't return um, and they need, help. they need help. So the United States has traditionally been, has traditionally welcomed more refugees than the other nine countries combined that resettle refugees in terms of of numbers, sheer numbers. But there are two countries that accept more, that resettle more refugees per capita than we do. The first being Australia and the second being Canada. So um, refugees are they they have a real felt need, <laughs> and whatever they believed in before, whether they came from a Buddhist country or whether they were animists who you know that typically live in fear of the spirits, uh, whatever it was that they believed in before, uh, quite often they feel like well that hasn't worked for me. <laughs> I am. I am now at a loss, you know, and so they are often way more open to the gospel than about... In fact, research shows that refugees are the most fruitful field for evangelism of any group of people that's been identified yet. What about the Muslims? Muslims, so here we go. I I coordinate... Refugee Ministries, my colleague Gabby Phillips is our Adventist Muslim Relations Director for the North American Division. And in terms of when, so we often overlap, we have the privilege of overlapping because I love working with Gabby. Um, And when the Afghan refugee crisis, come in, broke. Yeah, that's fine, I got it. Um, when the Afghan refugee crisis hit, um, Gabby and I teamed up and created a campaign called Adventists for Afghans, to welcome Afghan refugees. And so we worked with conferences uh, to identify people within their conferences who who felt a calling to to welcome the Muslims and who are coming as refugees, and and so there were several places that we were able to really develop an effective program working closely with refugee resettlement offices. In Oklahoma City, for example, we had uh, a friend there who had worked with Muslims in AMFA uh, I'm trying to remember what, what that stands for, but it's working with Muslims there in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area. and And so when the Afghan refugees began to come, he went to the local refugee resettlement office and said, how can we help? And they said, actually, we need someone to pick up a family at the airport this afternoon. Can you help us? And he did. And we worked with the conference and asked them to gather the pastors together in a Zoom meeting so that we could kind of debrief them a little bit and ask if they would open their churches for uh, this volunteer to to recruit volunteers to help. And this has been one of the most effective ministries because, and what they did, yes? Are we witnessing no to them, What are we talking about here? All of the above. And here's what I'd like to... The topic for today is how to make friends cross-culturally. And since you asked about Muslims, um, I will tell you that um, that Gabby recommends that whether what we're doing for them is providing food, which we had a large drive for Afghan refugees in the Washington, D.C. area, or whether you're picking up from the airport, whatever you're doing, remember that, that we have more to offer than physical things. And I love how Jesus, how balanced Jesus was, because... Jesus, it says he did not ask for a person's creed before he helped them. If they needed help, he helped. But he didn't just leave it at that. Every time he helped someone, he utilized that as an opportunity to plant a seed of divine truth in their hearts. And Gabby will tell you when you help Muslim, when you, when you meet a refugee, especially when you help a refugee, she will tell you, Always pray with them. Because she said in over 30 years of working with Muslims, she has never had anyone refuse prayer. And let me just, since I'm mentioning that, let me just mention a couple of things. If you're like me, I was not, I have never been around Muslims much. Uh, so I remember the first time I was dropped out of, off at the home of a Muslim family, uh, to make friends. I was a little bit nervous. I didn't know what to do or what to say, what not to say. But, But just a couple of things, when you pray with them, you know, for us as Adventists, if we want to pray with someone, even before we say something, we often, there's some body language that goes with it. You know, we might fold our hands. And that communicates that we'd like to pray. So with Muslims, uh, their posture for prayer is two hands up to receive the blessings that God gives. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. I think as Adventists, we can do that. (laughs) I don't see anything wrong with just so if you want to pray with Muslims, uh, you can ask if you could make a dua. They call it a dua. But even if you don't say that, just say, "Can I pray for you?" And or you could say, "Can we pray?" And if you, if you just put your hands up like this and say, "Can I pray for you?" If they tell you no, let me know about it. This would be a first. I somebody say no. Oh, you did. Yeah, oh, I was going door to door. Okay. Was it a, was it a Muslim family? a Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I think we're most more likely to have refusals from Christians or unchurched, but uh, Muslims. It's amazing how how freely they speak of their faith, and. Allah is their God. Yes, and and um, Allah is. It's, there are people who don't understand who think it's two different people are two different gods but but Allah is the god of the bible it's even though the terminology is different and and there is a little difference i see you shaking your head there's a diff, maybe a different understanding of of his character Um right so so there's for example, um Allah believes if you're not Muslim, what's that? Allah believes that if you're not Muslim, you're infidel. You're not a Christian. Well, so else is infidel. so there, many Muslims do. Most Muslims, many Muslims believe that, but but I wouldn't say that Allah believes that. Yeah. So, um so there's. Uh, how many of you have visited the home of a Muslim? Okay. Yes. So, um, and and again, I'm not an expert in reaching Muslims, but I, uh, and but anyone interested in reaching out to Muslims or connecting with them in positive ways, I would recommend connecting with Gabby Phillips, Gabriella Phillips, and um, I, like to t- I like to start with the airplane view, the big picture, and then we can dive into specifics. I grew up in Pathfinders, the gospel to the world in this generation. That's uh, And in Revelation 14, 6 and 7, this text has taken on new meaning since I have started working with refugees. The gospel is to go to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, right? Are in a nutshell. So I thought, where are we in this? What, how much do we have left to do? So I did a little research, and I found that we as a church have a presence in 215 of the 236 Nations and areas recognized by the United Nations Uh, Amen Mm. That's pretty good. I would say Um, Next is kindred And I looked for Some research on how many kindred have been reached and I didn't find any but even though so in our Western culture, we typically wonder, what does that even mean? What are they referring to? But in yes, in many cultures that's very important. For example, my husband is Mong uh, and in his culture, Hmong refugees that find themselves here in the states, if, if one meets another on the street or in the grocery line, the first question is not, oh, what's your name, where do you live, where do you work? It is, which Hmong are you? In other words, which kindred? Clans. Some people call it clan, yeah. In some cultures, it might be tribes or clans. So in, in my husband's culture, in the Hmong culture, there were originally 12 last names. Twelve tribes. What does that remind you of? <laughs> um, now there are eighteen, but but what they, you know, which which tribe or which kindred they belong to, determines everything. It determines what they call each other, how they refer to each other, how they relate to each other, whether their children could marry or or not, uh, everything. And so even though. In Western culture, this is kind of, we don't even know what they're, it's talking about when it says every kindred hardly. It's interesting to me that it was important enough to God to put it in the core of our mission statement, amen? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, uh, by the way, if any of you find research on it, let me know, because I would love to. But there is lots of research on how many languages are or are not reached. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. Um, I want to introduce you later to to these guests. The Joshua Project. If you just Google the Joshua Project, you you will find lots of research on which language groups are reached, which are unreached, how unreached are they, where are they located, The Joshua Project is an extensive research project by Christians in general, not specifically Adventists, regarding unreached people groups. And according to their website, there are nearly 7,000 unreached language groups in the world. Many of these have not even a page of scripture. And I know that may be hard for us growing up here, to even imagine. But having spent four years in Thailand working with refugees from Laos, I know of many people who never heard even the name Jesus growing up. And many who never even heard the word for, that is used for God in the Bible that there is in their language or they were not even familiar that there was such a thing as the Bible. Um, Right, and I love the indications that God, uh, there are going to be people in heaven who ask Jesus, "What what happened to your hands? There will be people there who didn't know his name. And but who, to the best of their knowledge, live to help others. Yes? I love the uh, two texts. One is uh, that Jesus is the true light, which lighteth every man that comes into the world. Amen. in John chapter 3, Jesus says, and this is the condemnation, that light is coming to the world, but men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. Yeah. So Jesus says, if anyone's ever condemned at last, it's because they love darkness more than they love the light. Yes. So God's, you know, shining his light on everyone. And like the gentleman said back here, you know, as long as they lived up to all the light that they have received from God and nature, as well as um, the convictions of the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit's everywhere, they're going to be in heaven. Amen. And... I praise the Lord that we have a just and merciful God. He cares about every individual. Which does lead to a question that I was asked when I was presenting one time. So so if God's going to save everyone that's open to Him anyway, why do we need to go as missionaries? Well, does it really make a difference? And that came as a surprise to me because I know that it's important for us to share. I believe that there there are people that whether or not we share the gospel with them, they are going to seek for truth and follow the light that God gives and they will be saved. But I also believe that there are many more who grow up in Cultures or situations where they don't have a witness around them, they and they finally and whatever witness they do see around them is either hypocritical or or it's um arbitrary, whatever whoever their whatever religion they are surrounded by seems arbitrary and unreasonable. And they give up on the whole idea of God altogether. But I believe that there are many of these, there are many people out there who, without a witness, they will just give up and just live for the here and now. Whereas if, if there are dedicated missionaries abiding in Jesus and letting him love people through them, they will... Pardon? Change, lives. change They will open their hearts to God, let him change their lives, and be in the kingdom whereas they would not be otherwise. Mm-hmm. And I've seen many stories like this. But back to the 7,000, I thought to myself, of those 7,000 languages, how, how many people does that represent? How many people are there within those 7,000 languages? Or nearly 7,000. So if there's about 7,000 unreached languages. How many languages are there total? Did you ever speak that? Yes. I'm trying to remember. I'm so focused on the unreached. I think it's about 13,000. 13,000. Wow. Don't quote me, but that's if I remember right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you come back tomorrow, I will double-check that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Mm-hmm. So, I dove into it, and when I, when I researched it first, when we were launching the Division-Wide Refugee Ministry, the number was 2.9 billion. To, anyone, 2.9 billion people live in, are from those language groups. What's the world's population now? Eight billion mm-hmm. 8 billion. Um, So it was 2.9. Anyone want to guess what it is now? (laughs) 3.15. How did you know? She was here yesterday. (laughs) So it has grown just since 2009 from 2.9 billion to 3.15 billion people in those language groups. So I thought to myself, what, what will it take? So we know that it's God's will for us to reach the world with the gospel in this generation, and and we could we could ask, what does that mean? But you know, God showed Ellen White that that was His will in her generation. But we can't go backwards. All we can do is okay. From now, <laughs> in our generation, I would I take it as my lifetime. <laughs> um, it's God's will for us to reach the world in this generation. So, what would it take for? how many, on an average, how many people does every Seventh-day Adventist need to reach to reach the world in this generation? So so I did the math and found that every Seventh-day Adventist needs to reach an average of hundred and sixty-five of the unreached souls to reach the world with the gospel in this generation. And when you say unreached, you're just talking specifically people who have never heard of Christianity. Yes, people who live within those language groups that are considered unreached. And for the definition, the definition they use for unreached doesn't mean that there's not one Christian among them, but there is no... Uh, entity there's probably not a church congregation Mm -hmm. or any organization that has it within their mission statement to reach that people group. Mm -hmm. No Bibles in those 7,000 languages. So some of them uh, they're in the process of translating Bibles for them some may have portions Mm -hmm. like maybe the book of John, or something. Many of them had, don't have a page of the scriptures, but they're, you know, we're at different stages for different language groups in providing even the Bible. Um, so, um, I should have divided that slide. Our pop, uh, I- I'm sorry, our church grew last year by one million, amen? Mm-hmm. The world population grew by Seventy-five million. I mean, that's still pretty good, but, I mean, yeah. kind of, right. yeah. Yeah, but our job's not getting any easier. <laughs> so, if we're going to dedicate a year to missions, <laughs> it would be more effective to dedicate it sooner rather than later. <laughs> In other words, the sooner we do it, the the uh, the faster it will go because those we share it with will share it with others and... Um, So, I'll let you get that picture. (laughs) Mm, So, where are the unreached? The 1040 window, and we'll see a picture of that in a minute. Restricted nations where missionaries are not welcome. Countries with very little, if any, religious freedom. Here's the 1040 window. The colors represent the predominant religion in those areas, green being Muslim, yellow Hindu, red communist, and orange Buddhist, how can we reach them? Many of those countries, even if we were to sell our homes, quit our jobs, and move there tomorrow, <laughs> there would be real challenges in what we could do. We need to, first of all, learn the language, and we need to learn some of the culture at least. Um, the more the better to be able to to reach them. Um, but there would, in many of those countries, they don't give missionary visas. So we would need to be creative access missionaries. Um, there would be lots of hurdles, and in some of those countries, we could lose our lives. Yeah, killed. <laughs> yes. What's wrong in prison? Right. And if we were not, then any converts would be. Um, so it seems like a mammoth task. But in college, my room and roommate and I each spent, an, we got up an hour earlier than we would need to to get ready for breakfast and class. And we each sat on our beds and studied Desire of Agents. I love how Mrs. White says we should spend a thoughtful hour each day in in thoughtful contemplation of the life of Christ. And I had a roommate that was very supportive in that we kept each other accountable. And that was one of the richest spiritual experiences I've ever had. And one of the many convictions that just gripped me after reading The Desire of Ages that if Jesus live during our time, um, he, there would be no people group that he could not reach and, and that he would not try. You know, we hear that certain people groups are very difficult to work with, almost impossible. <laughs> but I believe that God's biddings are enablings, amen? <laughs> Whatever he asks us to do, he will empower us to do. And he has a plan, and there's a quote that I came across that when I discover it, it just it gave me goosebumps. I could not believe it. I just had to read it again and again. Does this really say this? And it really does. It's just as though a page of God's, or an excerpt from a page of God's strategic planning committee in heaven just somehow drifted to earth, and we caught it. <laughs> or his messenger caught it and wrote it down for us. I found it in Evangelism, page 570. It starts out, if we were quick in discerning the opening providences of God, we should be able to see in the multiplying opportunities to reach many foreigners in America, a divinely appointed means of rapidly Extending the third angel's message into many, all All. the nations of the earth. That includes every restricted nation, every nation where if you and I were to go, we might lose our lives. God has a way of reaching them, and his method is for, for us to reach international guests that he's sending to us right here. Isn't that incredible? This is his divinely appointed means of rapidly extending the third angel's message to all the nations of the earth. Imagine that. She goes on to say, God in his providence has brought men to our very doors and thrust them as it were into our arms that they may learn the truth and be qualified to do a work we could not do in getting the light before men of other tongues. I cannot begin to tell you how much meaning there is in just this quote. Let me just back up a little bit. Um, I don't want to take too much time, but this, this is so key. People often ask, people, I, have, I remember giving a presentation at ASI one year and afterwards someone came up to me and said, why are all these people coming here? And, you know, if you ask them, they will give you various reasons. Of course, uh, generally speaking, immigrants come for a better life. Refugees didn't have a choice. <laughs> I mean, it... Uh, Technically, they did, they chose life over death. <laughs> but basically, they couldn't stay where they were and and be sure that they wouldn't lose their lives. Um, so, generally speaking, there are different motivations for different categories uh, of people. Asylum seekers are in the same category as refugees. Just It's just a difference of where they get their status. <laughs> So asylum seekers get here somehow first, and then they let us know that that they can't return to their home. And there's it's a very stringent uh, process, very difficult to be qualified as an asylee here in the United States. I've I've testified in asylum court. I've been qualified as an expert witness for human rights in the country of Laos, and um, I've testified, and it's. Not easy for an asylum seeker to be granted asylum status here, Um, but God in His providence has brought people to our doors. Various people will give you different reasons for why they came, but beyond that, God has a reason for them coming. (laughs) And Mrs. White says many of them are here in the providence of God that they may learn the truth and be qualified to do a work that we could not do, getting the light before men of other tongues. So a work we could not do. That is so true. When people from within the culture learn the language, I mean learn learn our, learn the wonderful Adventist message, they can share it with their own people in ways that you and I would never be able to. For one, they already know the language, they know the culture, they already have connections, they have a network, and I, we have one of them here today. Pastor Ngai Din, would you stand? <laughs> 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 and uh, could you stand with him? This is an amazing team. I want to introduce you to Pastor Ngai Din and his wife. Pastor Ngai Din is a church planter in, and pastor in Grand Rapids and for the Battle Creek Zomi congregations. He speaks the Zomi language. He also speaks Burmese, right? Yes, Burmese and Zomi, they're from Burma, former Burma, now called Myanmar. And this couple, um, you can close your ears, but I have to tell you, these are real Christians, and because you know how I know? Their children are all missionaries. They, their oldest, which is, uh, so Katie's your oldest, right? Katie has a, she set up a community services center, even soon after they arrived, um, to to serve refugees and anyone else who came, um, their middle son is a is a pastor. He's now doing his M. David Andrews, and he is organizing a youth convention like you have never seen. They'll be having it for uh, for refugee young people from Burma um, later this in about a month at Andrews University, and their youngest son just he finished Sangpi is with um, General Conference Auditing Service, (laughs) working for our church. Very dedicated young people, and they can do a work, they are reaching the Zomi refugees in Grand Rapids and Battle Creek, and doing so very successfully. He, they wouldn't tell you all the things they're doing, but <laughs> I had to. Thank you. It's a privilege to have you with us. And feel yeah, free I to speak it. up anytime If I miss yeah. something, yeah. <laughs> add to it. Yeah. But people like this can do, they can reach their people in ways that we can't, and they can reach beyond because they know about language groups that we've never heard of. Like, for example, how many here has heard of the Falam language group? How about Hakka? How about Mizo? So these are all language groups that I had never heard of until other refugees from Burma told me about them, and we discovered that some of them speak some of those languages. So that when I first read this quote, it says that they may be qualified to do a re- work we could not do in getting the light before men of other tongues, I assumed that just meant within their own language group. It certainly does include that, but I, now I'm discovering that it goes beyond that. In fact, we have um, I have to be careful because <laughs> oh, but, but there are places that are off-limits for us to go as missionaries. But there are refugees within the North American Division who are sharing their faith with, uh, who are, are finding ways to reach language groups overseas that are completely unreached and unreachable. In fact, one of them specifically that is being reached now is a language group which um, actually killed the last missionary that went to try to reach them. But people within these other cultures, God, God is using them to reach Cultures that you and I could not reach just because of the way we look. So, when we reach, when we reach some from one culture, you never know how God can use that, like waves to reach others. It's amazing. I would, if I wasn't being recorded, I'd give you more detail, but <laughs> oh, it's amazing. So, so God's plan basically to rapidly extending extend the third angel's message into all the nations of the earth. The way he, God's method of getting the gospel to the world in this generation it appears to me is primarily through helping us to reach the people he's bringing here to us in North America. So I did a little research and I I made a list of countries that are in the 1040 window. I made a list of countries identified by the uh, voice of martyrs as hostile nations. I made a list of countries with the least religious liberties, according to our parle department. And I compared these three lists with the list of countries from which refugees are coming. And the lists were almost parallel. It's amazing, the people who are coming here as refugees, asylum seekers, international students, especially these three categories, are primarily from the countries that we would have the hardest time reaching if we were to go there as missionaries. But just the fact that they're coming here does not necessarily mean that they're on our radar. Because the people who we end up meeting are typically the people who, well, if there's a large enough population we might see them in the grocery store or, you know, in the community. But the people we tend to be most aware of are the people that come to our churches. So the people who have already been reached overseas by our missionaries, and then, then they, when they come to the States, they, they come in search of us. And uh, the Zomi are one, Karen, uh, several language groups from Burma, we're already reached to a certain degree overseas, not that there's not much more work to be done. Um, and they come to our churches looking for a place to worship. Do you have a room? And, and this is one way that we can really help refugees. And actually, by doing this, we can end up helping more unreached because they will reach out to others once they are able to establish a, a firm church plant. They will reach other language groups as well. So, um, if if you notice any refugees, you might not know that they're refugees, but if you notice people coming to your churches that are maybe not fluent in English, get to know them. Um, don't do as as you might they might recommend you do with. Um, millennials or whatever. Uh, they're saying, you know, they millennials need a little room. Don't don't get too nosy. Don't ask for contact information too quickly too soon. They, they're saying, but for refugees, they need someone to ask, How are you? How are things really going for you? Where do you live? They for them, if actually very few refugees, asylum seekers, or international students, or even immigrants are ever invited to the home of an American, to to, to a Native, I mean, not Native American, but, you know, to an American home. So one of the best things you can do is just invite them home for a meal. And if they're coming to your church, ask what language they speak. And if they're already Adventist, If one or two families come to your church, that means there probably are many more families in the area that some may be Adventists and some may not be Adventists, but those coming to your church could probably reach out to them if they just have a room in your church where they could come and worship. Amen? Um, Quick story, my husband and I... uh, accepted a call to plant churches among Hmong refugees in Wisconsin and Minnesota. We started out in Wisconsin. The first Sabbath we went to Minnesota, we walked in, and we saw a woman very discreetly and modestly nursing her baby. And I was busy getting my children into the children's classes, by, but my husband talked to her and her husband and found out that they were from Thailand. They were originally from Myanmar. and but they had been in the refugee camps in Thailand, so they spoke Thai, and my husband speaks Thai as well. And so when I finished getting the children in their classes, he said, he introduced me to them, he said, these people speak Thai. We were amazed. That was the only Karen family. They 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 were native speakers of the Karen language. They were the only family there But unbeknownst to me at the time, that city, St. Paul, Minnesota, had the largest Karen refugee population of any city in North America. Well, we happened to be staying with one of the deacons who had been an elder, longtime member of that church. And um, when we got back, we said, well, you didn't tell us you had refugees coming to your church already. He looked at me kind of puzzled, like, who would that be? And we described them a little bit. He said, "Oh, well, we, you know, we noticed a few people come and they always sit in the back row, and if and they usually leave during the last song. And if we ever have a chance to talk to them uh, and invite them to potluck, they never stay. And so we explained that they're they're probably very new, so they're self-conscious that they probably are not fluent in English, and if they know what." The word potluck means. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they, what, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Here's a sign. He, she speaks sign language. That actually, that can be very useful with refugees. Because the if new refugees. not know their language. They don't know our language. You can just go up that. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's basically. <laughs> Cause if you try to explain it, like you just go, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Come and eat. That's the only way to explain it. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> you've got it. <laughs> things sometimes we make things more complicated than they really are. Huh? <laughs> um, for the recording, she's just doing the motion in sign language for eating. Just put your hand to your mouth, <laughs> like just come eat with us. So anyway, um, he said, "Oh well, I yeah." Didn't know so we explained that you know there, and this is a, a quite a very gentle, shy culture, they don't want to be a burden, you know. And you know, they if they know what potluck means, they wouldn't know if if uh, anything they you know, if their dishes would if we would like them or not, or what they could make that would <laughs> that we would like, and so. But we said, you know, one thing, we noticed that you're not using your fellowship hall during Sabbath school time. So if you were to offer to let them use that for a Sabbath school in their language, I'm sure they would be grateful. He said, oh, sure, we can do that. So they ran it through the board and, sure, no problem. In two years, that one family grew to 80 people. Wow. And not long after that they requested to be able to worship in the school capital city school because they outgrew the sanctuary they were worshiping so they were having a separate sabbath school but they really needed a place to also have a worship service in the language they were they were sitting through the english worship service but across town the baptist church was letting them have their sanctuary for the whole service. And so the young people were able to practice for and and do special music every week and everything. So when they were, uh, when they were able to have not only Sabbath school, but also a worship service in their language, it grew to 450. One of the largest congregations and the, 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 Minnesota Conference quickly made them a church. They were quick to reach out to the conference and They said, come train us, show us what the, tell us what the policies are here in North America. We want to learn how, how things work here. We want to comply with policy. Please show us. And so they gave them seminars, and the conference said, you know what, you're already one of our largest churches. And they came from an Adventist background already, so it's not, <laughs> not like they were new to the message. And so they said, you know, let's skip the company status. And they, made, they went from group to organized church directly. And, and, you know, it all started with offering them a room to hold worship in their language. And that's one of the best things you can do. And I want to tell you that empowerment is way better than, as, as good as inclusion is, empowerment is way better. What do I mean by this? Um, there are, with 170, over 170 refugee congregations across the division, we have seen the whole spectrum. We have seen, there was one church that even, and I hate to say it, I'm not gonna tell you where it was, <laughs> Uh, it's not even legal i don't think but one church actually voted not to let a certain language group come worship in their church isn't that isn't that sad Um, god provided for them in a church across town thankfully we've also seen the opposite extreme we have seen congregations that Get so attached to the refugees that they won't let them go. And when they need a bigger place, they vote, "No, you have to stay here. <laughs> Which um, neither is best. We have seen um, we have seen a, we have seen churches that just welcome them with open arms literally and literally smother them <laughs> with love. And we have seen churches, when they ask for a room, saying, I'm sorry, we're all full, we don't have room. But of those two options, let me give you two actual scenarios and you tell me which is best. So in one church, the pastor and his wife, every refugee that came into the church got a hug. The pastor's wife made sure of that. They welcomed them with open arms. They included them in everything. They bought a van to take their uh, children to, to church school and to the academy. They found funding for them. They just did everything. Talk about inclusive. They were totally inclusive. Um... Another church, uh, a group of the, you know, a group came from a language group, the same language group, to another church in a different town and said, is there a room we could use to have a worship service in our language? And they said, I'm sorry, you know, we, we have a really full schedule here at our church. We really don't have a place for you. So just... Just with that, I'm stopping in the middle of each story. Which do you think is better? The first one. The first one, obviously, right? Yeah. It would seem. Now let depending me, on the culture. Some cultures right. don't want to be hugged, for instance. You have good to know about the culture. Right, good point, good point. Okay, now let me finish each story. The first story, a few years, in fact, I even... One of the young people even became a, a call porter, and I interviewed him at the North American Division because he went to one door, and um, he was talking to the person there, and and the person said, by the way, would you like a drink of water? And he said, yeah, okay, yeah, thank you. And so the person came back with two bottles of water, and he said, where's the other guy? And he said, I'm, it's just me. No, no, there was another guy with you. Where'd he go? And just that morning, in their group, they had prayed for angels to go with them to the doors. And he realized, wow, that must have been an angel. And um, so there were miracles happening in that church. But one thing that church did not do was empower their leaders to hold a service in their language. And while they were included in the English service, they were not able to, to, to fellowship in their own language. And a f- few years down the road, that pastor called me in tears. He said, We have lost all those young people we educated. We just, we've lost them. And it was because they did not empower the leaders from within the culture, the, the fathers in the families, the, they didn't empower them to develop their own worship service so that the families from within the culture, they, they were not able to really, um, they didn't have the fellowship within their language group to, to, to continue to nurture those those children. Um, The other group that the church said, I'm sorry, we're busy, we don't have a place. Not that I'm recommending you say that, but here's what happened with that one. They said, well, we've got to find a place to worship. And so they went looking and they found a Methodist church. They rented it so they had the use of it all Sabbath. So Sabbath morning, they had Sabbath school and worship service. They had potluck together. In the afternoon, they had AY. So, and they, and this group, AY is not a pick up and drop off, you know, drop off and pick up uh, event. All, it's, it's like another church service. So, um, all the, all the parents stay and support the AY. The child, the young people plan it. They include the little children in singing songs, doing special music memorizing scripture, doing plays, giving testimonies. But it's the youth that plan it. It's the youth that do it. And the parents sit and listen. The parents support by their presence, the ministry of presence. And do you know that group has grown? And grown people have moved from other places to join that group because they have a place they can use all Sabbath. So that's why I say being inclusive is good, but empowering. And and not that 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 church didn't. The empowerment came. God turned the curse into a blessing, I believe. Um, But when they have the freedom to lead, sometimes if they're in our churches, Let me just warn you about, have you ever heard of intelligence perception warp? Probably not because I coined the term, (laughs) but um, it's something that I discovered when I was in Thailand. I was teaching a book one class and a book five class. And I, I just noticed myself thinking one day, you know, I just... But you know, my book five class is so much fun. We have so much fun together. I think, actually, I think probably my Mm -hmm. book five students are probably more intelligent than my book one students. And when I realized that I was thinking that, I thought to myself, okay, now wait a minute. Are they really more intelligent or do you just think they are because they haven't learned as much English and you don't know their language? Mm -hmm. So I compared, so I thought back, okay. I thought about my book five students. My book five students were most of them were they were students in either young people in, in school, or else they were adults that were really not doing much with their lives. I mean, they didn't have regular jobs, they were just at home with their parents and not a column not, not doing much with their lives. So they had plenty of time to study English. <laughs> but my book one students, I had several very extremely successful business people. I had teachers, I had a government worker, I had some very significant, in terms of within the fabric of their culture, they were well respected, but they were in my book one class and they didn't know much of my language and I hadn't learned much of theirs yet, so to me. I find my I found myself subconsciously thinking they were less intelligent. Do you think they were less intelligent? Probably not. If they had achieved this level of success in business, in 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 society, in their in their occupations and um, careers, but it taught me that if we don't speak enough of someone else's language or they don't speak enough of ours, there's an almost automatic perception warp, whether it's a, our perception of their intelligence, <laughs> we, we almost automatically talk down to them. And we automatically, all. It's, it's hard to resist the tendency to think that they are somehow a little bit less than. And sometimes we think that that less than is spiritual. That they know less than we do about God. When actually... Often, the opposite is true. And in terms of retaining the youth, oh, there's so much I want to tell you. Oh, time's up. up. Thank you for coming. Um, Let's let's pray together. And then I'll give you a way you can learn more. (laughs) Dear Father in Heaven, thank you so much for your love. Thank you for how you are working to put things in place. You are turning curses into blessings in other parts of the world. You're using the, the, the oppressiveness of other governments. You are using that to help people long for something better, something more. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be faithful in sharing you with people from other countries who you are sending here to learn about you so that they can do what we could not do in taking your message to their language group around the world and to other language groups that are still unreached by the gospel. Lord, please use us as only you can, we pray. Thank you in Jesus' name, amen. To listen to more of these presentations, you may visit the audio archives at misda.org slash audio 2023 or search for Michigan Conference Camp Meeting wherever you get your podcast.